welcome to the latest Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom, and unlike usual when I'm in Jerusalem, I have the distinct pleasure of being in Dubai today. And I'm sitting in the offices of the uh, of the Dubai Public Policy Research Centre with their director general, Mohammed Baharun. Mohammed, thank you very much indeed for having me here today. Oh, thank you very much for making the trip, and uh, happy to have you. And um, just for our, for our listeners, if we can start, if you can briefly uh, introduce yourself and your and your institute. Um, my name is Mohammed Baharun, as you've just mentioned, and uh, uh, our institute focuses on uh, public policy, but looks also at the geostrategic aspect of it and the global affairs aspect of it and the implications of what's happening in the region and around us on public policies inside the UAE and vice versa. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So I mean, let's start and talk a little bit about the, the Abraham Accords, which is kind of the, uh, the focus of my visit here and, uh, and obviously kind of generating a lot of excitement, at least on the Israel side. We marked last month the, the first anniversary. Um, how do you see the progress has been going in the, in the last year? I think the progress on the bilateral aspect of the accord has been quite significant and quite a number of people have witnessed that this is not the regular type of uh, uh, political agreement alone. So we've seen a lot of developments on the uh, on integrating the economy and economic ties, but also on people-to-people type of... of uh, and I think the, one of the most important things that this uh, accord is trying to do and possibly have succeeded to a certain extent is changing this concept of the enemy to people, uh, looking at the other, being Arabs or uh, Israelis, as, as, as normal people who can have good relations, who can actually think of a joint future, who have similar needs and requirements, and they could find way of collaborating and going around the things that, you know, uh, stands in between, uh, between them. And how do you think the, uh, the accords have been accepted in general amongst the uh, Emirati population? I think if, if you look around, uh, you would see a lot of uh, Israeli companies, Israeli people visiting. Uh, there's a very active uh, participation of Israel in, in, uh, in Expo. And uh, we've seen a general welcome to this. But I also I have to say that this welcome is not particularly to the Israelis. I think it's part of this uh, multicultural environment in the UAE where we've got something like 200 nationalities Mm -hmm. living here based on mutual respect. And I think as long as that mutual respect continue, it will always be a a basis of of, uh, uh, dealing with each other. There's been some comments that the, uh, the, the, the accords are focused around the bilateral relationship between Israel and the Emirates. Do you think that's fair or do you think the, the significance has, has a wider regional uh, um, depth to it? Uh, I, I definitely think that the Abrahamic Accord, basically from, under, from their name, is, is not just a bilateral relationship. It's a much wider uh, you know, regional approach to understanding who we are, what is the relationship. But I think at, at core, it's, it's an attempt to deconflict this conflict of identities that we've had. And by focusing on, on a shared origin, but also f- uh, focusing on a shared future, so, uh, but what we've had so far 
was you know establishing the bilateral aspect and i think you always need to uh, crawl before you run mm-hmm. so uh, it's only been one year we see a lot of movement happening you know new dynamics emerging in the relationship so uh, the fact that uh, bahrain has joined uh, morocco has joined sudan has joined uh, definitely makes it a more regional approach rather than just a bilateral approach and what do you think about the prospects of, of others joining in the future? I think it's, it's, it's a direction. Uh, but again, like any walking process, it would need two legs. <laughs> so there, there, there need to be more done on uh, you know, proving that this is a, a regional uh, approach that would lead to regional uh, connectivity, regional peace. And I think at the heart of that, is uh, the uh, peace between the Palestinians and and, uh, and Israelis. This is something that we all look forward to. We believe that the Abrahamic Accord is going to lead us there. It is not a a substitute for it. It's actually an enabler for it. And I think that is going to make others see the value of the Abrahamic Accord and definitely uh, make them move towards it. Well, that, that's very interesting. Just on that point, I mean, what do you think? How, how can the Emirates or other partners within the Abraham Accords encourage Israelis and Palestinians to, uh, to, to move that process forward and to kind of to, to lead to, to some form of, uh, of resolution? I think on, on one, we give a good example of how that glass wall between us can be breaking. Once it's broken, we can see that we now can deal with each other not as enemies, not as people bound by, by eternal hatred, uh, but as, as, you know, this is a political discussion that we can have, and there are economic ties, there are people ties that could help that. So uh, definitely it gives an example of what life could be like when we have total peace between us. And I think uh, this was evident among a number of people who have visited uh, the UAE from Israel, visited Bahrain from Israel. Uh, Once we can feel that, we can see it, we can touch it, I think now we've got more incentive to achieve it. Fantastic. If we can just change topics slightly um, and and discuss Iran. Um, First of all, what's your assessment of the new president and the government that he's forming? Uh, Look, we can look at the President uh, Raisi uh, from the prism of his past experience. And we could look at him from what he is willing to do or doing at this point. So if you just look at his past experience, you would see uh, a guy who has always been on the camp of the more, let's say, radical, uh, if not radical, you know, uh, conservative aspect of of the Iranian uh, political spectrum. Uh, at this point, he's the, what has happened, when, and I don't think there's enough time to judge him, but he's signaled that he needs more inter- interaction with the region. What would that interaction lead to? To what extent would it affect? There is a current discussion between Iran and Saudi Arabia, which is definitely positive, something that we did not have before. Uh, but again, everyone in the region is cautious uh, hopeful but cautious about how far we can go with this. But Iran is a neighbor uh, to the UAE and to the entire GCC countries. It is you know, a country with a lot of heritage uh, and people to people. We've got a lot of interaction. 
Uh, I think Iran has got a fantastic opportunity uh, by looking at what COVID did to us, finding new ways of understanding the world, possibly even reinvent itself. Uh, and I think they have a fantastic example of what Saudi Arabia did with its Vision 2030. So uh, we're hopeful that, uh, you know, uh, not hopeful, let's say wishing, that Iran would look at that experiment and see the type of value it can achieve in the region and beyond by shifting gears from the security gear to the economic integration gear. It's very interesting you speak about uh, engagement uh, with Iran and, and the region. We saw re- recently uh, your foreign minister meeting with his Iranian counterpart. Can you describe for us kind of the nature of diplomatic relations that exist uh, between uh, the, the UAE and Iran? Uh, uh, Iran occupies UAE islands, but that has never stopped us from engaging with them diplomatically because that's part of how we believe the world should be run. It shouldn't be run through security, you know, should be run through diplomacy. And uh, yes, we understand that there are times when you have to, and have to be capable of, of uh, addressing security challenges, but quite uh, obviously our first choice uh, has always been uh, diplomacy in the region and beyond. So that type of engagement is quite important for de-escalation. It's important for making sure that we do not make mistakes by misunderstanding each other. To what extent it can lead to dissolve all of those issues, uh, I think uh, honestly that we need to have that type of belief, uh, work for it, but at the same time prepare for other options. And how much do you share the Israeli concern over their nuclear uh, program? Uh, Look, we all want a nuclear-free zone. And uh, I think this is something that the the UAE uh, has uh, not only said, but did by signing the 123 agreement that prohibits, you know, uh, enrichment of uranium uh, for its nuclear program. Uh, And I think this is something that this entire region needs. We have an issue now with, uh, uh, with the JCPOA because it made enrichment, even to a certain level, legal for Iran, mm-hmm. which means it has to make it legal for everyone. That is not going to help with proliferation. Now, uh, on, on, on the bomb, personally, I look at the history of, of, of nuclear-capable countries and to what extent it helped them to actually achieve their you know, objectives. Neither India nor Iran though both of them acquired, uh, you know, nuclear capabilities, have been able to achieve their, uh, you know, uh, uh, Israel is claimed to be nuclear capable, but that nuclear capability did not, you know, uh, help Israel uh, achieve its objectives. Same thing could be said about uh, North Korea. Uh, not proven to be to have uh, nuclear weapons, but capable of, of acquiring it at, at a short time. Uh, but again, uh, that did not help it achieve neither its security nor its 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 uh, policy objectives. Uh, we believe that you know economic integration, diplomatic in- engagement, can be far more helpful to achieving objectives, foreign policy objectives, than just the the nuclear deal. Now that has been said. No one wants nuclear weapons in the region, not with Iran, not even with Israel, I have to say. 
and and this is something that we all should aspire for. Uh, we've seen the international community, uh, you know, reducing the uh, the number of warheads, hoping that at certain points we won't need to have uh, warheads. But this is again uh, something that is a, a global issue rather than just a regional issue. Sure. I mean, on the on the global issue of the of the JCPOA and the kind of will they won't let they return. How do you think that's going to be playing out? Those negotiations between Iran and the P five plus one. Uh, look, uh, and, uh, from a principle uh, issue, uh, n- no one is against, uh, uh, I think, including Iran at a certain point, uh, the, the, the point of having controls from uh, the International Atomic Agency over the Iranian uh, nuclear program. Uh, That's why the GCC countries supported the JCPOA when it was established. But the point we made quite clearly is that JCPOA alone is not enough. And we need to look at the security aspect of of Iran's behavior that has never been addressed at that point of time. And I think that is the area we would want to have a discussion on. And at this point, we don't see that happening at all. And how much do you, cons- do you share the, um, the Israeli concern about the, the Iranian regional role, whether it be kind of in, uh, with, with, in regard to Lebanon, Syria, um, in, in, in Yemen and Iraq as well? I think everyone, it's not only the, 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 the UAE or the GCC countries, I think the entire world see that a, a support for non-state actors that have transnational uh, you know, uh, movement, uh, that are capable with uh, missiles, with drones, with weapons, uh, is not going to help any country. Uh, not Lebanon, not Yemen, not uh, you know, uh, even the Palestinian state. Not, not even Gaza. And that is a problem that we share. But I think the major focus that we need to have is, at, at, is the point where Iran started to realize that this thing that they've been doing for the last you know, uh, 50 years or so is not going to achieve their objectives. And that they will also need to look at new ways of engaging with the world and finding their meaning their value to the world rather than their own objectives. I think COVID provided us with a chance to do that, to look at what can be achieved through cooperation, whether the Iranian uh, government would look at it, learn those lessons or not, that's that's what remains to be seen. I know your, your, your think tank focuses on a lot of issues of connectivity. Um, what are the opportunities that you see for, for Israel to engage with the, Emir- with the Emirates um, in terms of kind of global connectivity? Look, we look at this entire region, the region of what we call the Arabian Peninsula, as a major important geostrategic space. Uh, it's very important because it has four waterways around it, the Arabian Gulf, the Arabian Sea, the Red Sea, and the Mediterranean. But as an extension of that, it's not only the GCC countries, it involves Yemen, it involves Iraq, it involves Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and by extension, Israel. So these are important countries, and if they create a, a way of engaging and you know become economically connected, then this is going to be the heart of the world. 
It connects Asia to Europe. It connects Africa to Asia. It's going to be an extremely important. Some of the major shock points, uh, marine shock points, happen on on, on those, uh, you know, waterways. So uh, there is a huge benefit from that connectivity strategically, not only economically, in security, in in economy, diplomacy. And I think if we realize those type of opportunities ahead of us, uh, I think we would see uh, the the value of of, of the Abrahamic Accords and also uh, how small are those sacrifices we're making. Um, we see this, uh, this, this week we've just seen the launch of the Expo 2020 uh, in your city. Um, what's the, kind of the strategic significance of that and the long-term legacy that, uh, that the Expo can bring? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's the concept of connectivity in which Expo was based on. And this is where the UAE has seen itself connecting the world. Uh, be it through things like Emirates and Etihad Airlines or uh, Dubai Ports World, uh, by its international financial markets, we've always see ourselves as an important part of this, you know, making this connectivity around the world. Uh, I think Expo represents that, and I think everything we're doing, including the Abrahamic Accords, is part of that sort of connectivity agenda that the UAE is, is subscribing to. Fantastic. Well, Mohammed, thank you very much indeed. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much.